Well, good afternoon. It's the Monday, the September the 11th. It's still 2023. And I suspect we still have a long way to go. Now, this podcast is really in two parts, but I'm going to try and cover it as one session. First part is looking where we are now. And the reason we can do this is because All beekeepers will tell you that the new year has started. That's not the calendar new year, nor some Gregorian calendar new year, but the beekeeper's new year. And it starts now because it's all the preparation that is going into having a large brood of winter bees. Everything for the next four or five months, for some, a little bit more. For me, I hope a little bit less is going to be based on the success of my activities now. Now, looking back to the beginning of the year, it would be very easy to look at hindsight The one thing that every beekeeper could be very successful at is building a big bank of hindsight. I have no intention of doing that. A couple of days ago, a beekeeper said to me that he felt he had something in common with past, present and probably future prime ministers. And I think that this was... Uh, a repeat of what uh, Queen Elizabeth II had actually said to Churchill clearly many years ago. And it's simply that prime ministers, just like beekeepers, eventually fail. And so with that, I draw an end to hindsight and I move on. Hindsight, in my opinion, is just a port for the week. It serves no purpose in the context that I talk to you now. The year started about as catastrophically as I could describe, really, in my worst dreams. The winter did not have a cold long spell but kept on coming in and out and as a result of that by the time it got to somewhere around about the middle of March, middle of January I dropped from something like uh, 38 uh, boxes of bees down to something like 18 but With 18 boxes of bees, you can be full of optimism. And full of optimism I was. So come April, I began to split. And my optimism was not well placed. And in those circumstances, my optimism was actually a weakness. We did okay. 50% of the splits did okay. Um... But it's clear that um, splitting 
uh, down to a quantity of bees needs to be very carefully considered. By the middle of May, we had started grafting. And from previous episodes, you may recall that this year is the year of replacing all our queens with varroa-resistant queens. Not going to go into that in any detail at this stage. I have been in to that before. The website, uh, which has been put together by uh, Professor Stephen Martin and other scientists, and with beekeepers' input, is varroaresistance.uk. The grafting went well. Remember now that I'm on something like 20 colonies and therefore in our grafting at that time of year we were just seeking to hit about six new colonies a week and for that we needed six new queens and we were using grafts which were capped very good early success. The quantity of bees available for creating really good sized nukes, bearing in mind the type of weather we were having at that time, was great. Also bear in mind at that time, we are requeening colonies where, in our opinion, the queen has got weak or has failed. So not all of the capped queen cells went immediately to create new nukes. Eventually, we caught up, and I think all but about four, maybe five colonies had new queens and were well on the way. Somewhere on the line we clearly hit a problem which we didn't know about. Talk to any queen rearer, queen breeder, even professional queen breeders, which I had the benefit of doing a little bit of work for this year, although I wasn't so involved on the queen rearing side. They have their ups and downs too. The brilliance is getting back up. Well, that hiccup didn't appear until towards the end of June. By that stage, it was becoming clear to me that I was not going to hit my 50 hives. I was going to get close to it. Clearly, if I want 50 hives, I've got to go above that. I'm expecting some failures. I'm expecting some queens that at the three, four week stage are not laying brood in what I call the classic fashion. It's only after, in my opinion, it's only after about three weeks of seeing capped brood that you can actually determine that the queen is a good queen and has been well mated. Well, it became clear that some of the queens were not 
well mated, it became clear that some of the queens had not returned from their uh, mating flights, perhaps, and it became queer, clear that some of the colonies had got themselves into a bit of a fix and decided that they were going to supersede on the queen, even though it's a new queen. Such supersedures are not unheard of and are very easily remedied. And so I just simply took the queen out, put her in another hive and used the cell in the existing hive. And in that case, where there were more cells than were required for a successful supersedure, I removed those and put them into other colonies. So from a bad job, although not of my doing, from a bad job, uh, we got a serious gain. So about this time, it became clear that I was not going to hit my 50 mark. 50 is a number that I was aiming for because when you have got 50 colonies, you are in a position to uh, have a really strong drone presence, which means that you can uh, affect the mating in the area. And because I'm using, in my colonies, varroa-resistant queens, if I was able to command the local area in terms of drone production, then uh, it would make things a lot better. I could tell you now that there was every evidence that those queens, uh, which we have now, are good, strong, varroa-resistant characteristics. I'm not going to go into that any further. If it's something that you want to dig deep in and do some background reading on, uh, varroaresistant.uk is the site to go to. And then we hit July. And something which I wasn't expecting, wasps, a plague of wasps came. And of course, even worse, this year I had decided to explore uh, some additional wasp and hornet traps made by a company called Zoom. And I have been in contact with them. So anything that I say to you now, they're already aware of. It was just that they, they just weren't doing anything. They just, the attractant just didn't work. Uh, you know, when you consider that wasps will go into a, a, a Coca-Cola bottle or a lemonade bottle, one of those large two, three litre bottles, which you've just cut about in some Blue Peter-esque manner, throwing a bit of sugar syrup at the bottom, and these are being filled every two or three days. The Zoom just sits there as some fireplace ornament, not doing anything. I took, I did a number of things, 
which Zoom were not interested in. I swapped locations of Zoom with the successful traps that I was using. They didn't go into the Zoom traps. I swapped lures and put the lures into the Zoom traps. Same lures that I am using in mine. They didn't go into them. So uh, fortunately I got them half price. Typical beekeeper. Price isn't everything but it's a good job I didn't pay full price for them. So I'm sticking with uh, AP Farmer, uh, which as it turns out uh, is, uh, I think it's an Italian company, um, but uh, French use these traps uh, a lot. Those of you who are YouTube fans and watch uh, uh, Richard Knoll you'll see that these are exactly what he uses. He doesn't necessarily use the lure, and I don't always lose, use the lure. I often just put sugar syrup in. They work extremely well. And the ubiquitous Blue Peter-esque Coca-Cola bottles. So when the wasps struck, I wasn't ready, and the traps that I had were inferior and so I took damages. The wasps are very good, they are very energetic and they will seek out any weakness that they can and they did. Consequently to that I lost a load of uh, um, nuke, new nukes which had been made up because at that time of year you can make small nukes and successfully. And I got it wrong. So the third apiary, which is the 14 by 12 apiary uh, and sits on a hill, uh, we've effectively abandoned. Uh, there are just uh, three hives out of 14 occupied there. And we decided to go and fully complete the other apiaries, which is what's happened. So we currently sit on uh, 38, 39 colonies. I say 38, 39, surely I must know how many they got. Well, I have to tell you that Hive 18 has done the Disappearance Act. Hive 18 has got notes against it, but the apiary that it's in, it is not. So the jury is out on whether I have become a flip, complete fruitcake or whether I have just got it in another apiary but have not noticed. The 14 by 12s are at the top of a hill. What, what does that mean? Well, at the top of this hill are the remnants of a GCHQ listening post. Remnants because, uh, as far as I know, it's no longer used. The line of sight from that hill is directly to the Urals. And so you can see this hill is pretty exposed. I'm not on top of the hill. I'm just in the lee of the hill. But nevertheless, 
it is in every aspect a great apiary. The farmer is very good to me and uh, he has herds of cows and uh, we've constructed a, a wooden uh, uh, um, stock fence uh, with wire and a gate uh, and I could take 28 hives there but I've gone with 14 they're four meters apart it stops drift which reduces varroa and also reduces the opportunity of spreading disease. So that apiary I will pick up on very early next year. This term very early next year is going to crop up a lot. A 14 by 12 hives are really made up of two, two types of construction. Quite a number of them are 14 by 12. That's how they were bought, flat packed, and they have been built. Others are standard national broods. Uh, they're equivalent to a Langstroth medium. And I have put the 14 by 12 eek on top, thus giving me... Uh, the depth to be able to put a 14 by 12 in. Well, I have started to break those up and the wax drawn frames, some have already been melted down. There are more yet to be melted down, but all the good frames I am keeping and they will be used next year. So I am not throwing away my 14 by 12 hives uh, but that apiary will become mixed. Those hives are very big. They are uh, a 14 by 12 base and uh, a national super on top. One of them is a double 14 by 12. It's absolutely fine. Next year, come sometime in April, they will be split and from one colony I might get, I'll definitely get three, but I'll probably get four colonies. So where are we now? Every colony that I have is a strong colony. I have got, um, as at this week, I will confirm requeening on three. And so I'm expecting to see uh, uh, eggs and uh, I'm pretty positive because of the weather that we'll be okay. I'm pretty much on top of the wasp problem, uh, a combination of we're now over the top of the hill when it comes to wasp production but there are still wasps. Certainly the volume of trapping uh, has significantly reduced the wasp population. And most importantly, the colonies are all very strong. Very strong and 
with very small openings. Openings are an issue and we'll come on to that as we get into the second part of this. So I, I don't want to duplicate anything. We are stimulate, uh, we are feeding for stimulation at the moment. To me, that means that I'm using rapid rounds uh, above the ground board, underneath the roof. They contain nominally two litres of uh, uh, sugar syrup, which are probably slightly stronger than one to one. Um, and they get fed once a week. And those colonies will take that syrup down in about two days. But they haven't consumed the syrup. They're putting it into frames. They're obviously also consuming it at the same time. But when I look at the presence of stores in the hives, it's there. So it's stimulating in that the bees know they have a source of carbohydrates and uh, that allows them to encourage the queen uh, to lay. And lay prolifically is what we need. The second round of protein supplement has gone on. Now, it's protein supplement. It's not, uh, 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 it's not a pollen substitute or a pollen supplement. It is a protein supplement. I use the AP Pharma uh, uh, product, more or less following exactly the recipe on the on the cases. Except this year, I had a load of pollen, which I had kept, and I added that to the formula. Now, the presence of about 15% po pollen in a protein supplement formula significantly increases the nutrient value of that product, and the bees will benefit. Some beekeepers, when they're feeding fondant, will unwrap the fondant and fold into the fondant their pollen, real pollen, or fold into the, sup the fondant um, the uh, 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 protein supplement powder. I don't do that. They'll get protein supplement. I'll see how they are at the beginning of September. Sorry, I'll see how they are at the end of September, because clearly we're well past the beginning of September now. And uh, I might give them uh, a third round. I don't feed them in terms of kilograms. Uh, I give them small amounts in terms of maybe 200 grams, 150 grams. And if they consume that, they'll get more. If they don't consume it, or they're consuming it slowly, then that's absolutely fine. It is a supplement, remember. If they need it, they'll take it. 
I had a conversation with a lady over the phone and I asked her if she was feeding her bees and she said that she wasn't because they were foraging uh, in the local field. I asked what was in the local field. She said it was red clover. I said that she needed to be very careful and I, 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 and I suggested to her that whilst they were foraging and they could be seen to be foraging, we do not know the quality of the forage that they're getting. And we do not know whether they're actually able to get nectar from the red clover because red clover requires a long-tongued bee and honeybees are short-tongued. So it is only if there is an abundance of nectar so that it is overflowing, if you like, from the plants that the honeybees are able to gather it. So feeding is, an import, is important as a supplement. The nooks, I've said, are strong and are certainly keeping the wasps at bay. They should explode at some stage. By that I mean uh, there's insufficient room in the nukes. So into the nucleus apiae I have put two full colonies. Uh, they've actually been requeened and they are two of the hives I've previously mentioned that the queens should be uh, laying eggs now. They should be into the uh, second week. So they're going to be inspected this week. In the event that the nukes require to have uh, brood removed, they will go into a second box on top of each of these two uh, uh, national colonies, which is fine because I want those national colonies to expand into those boxes. I want to go into winter with double boxes on. Some of the nukes have got the shallower rapid round nucleus feeders and some of them have got in-frame feeders. I'll remove the in-frame feeders so that they can move from being a five-frame nuke to a six-frame nuke. And I'll put fondant over the top. Some of the nukes are traditional in style in that they have the circular entrance, circular dial entrance. I've gone from plastic to metal because the plastic just don't seem to be able to cope with the sun and so disintegrate. The metal ones are absolutely fine and are not much more in price. Those nucleus have uh, a, a deep roof on top under which sits the rapid round feeder. My new, newly built uh, first year in service nukes, they are bottom entry. That's a subject we're going to come on to a little bit later. And they have in-frame feeders and they have the American kind of transit roofs.
I've made my transit roofs slightly different. They are a single piece of wood. Uh, they are heavily uh, um, doused uh, with, uh, um, in my case, uh, a linseed oil. And uh, they were allowed to sit for several months uh, before being used so that they would uh, sort of uh, acclimatize and the linseed oil would not be raw when the bees were in the hive. So I think they're absolutely fine. Over, sorry, over the period when we were heavily being hit by wasps, and similarly during the winter when it's very windy, underneath the roof, I will put um, either bubble wrap or my preferred is that thin silver foil uh, uh, insulation. I don't have the bungs in the top of the roof, which, make, which means it's not possible for me to put uh, bucket feeders on top. Uh, I would prefer to keep the roof weatherproof, watertight, whatever word you want to use. I'm certainly going to make more nukes over winter. In fact, you're about to discover that I have such a huge list of things to do over winter. Uh, we'd better hope that the winter is long. Uh, I'm certainly going to make more nukes because I think it's important for me that not only do I try to be efficient in how I manage my apiaries, but I efficiently place the kit that's required for those apiaries in each one. And so I'm going to seek to have a couple of nukes in each apiary so that I can simply take, brood and make up nukes uh, without having to uh, travel to another apiary to pick up nukes and without having to fill the back of my vehicle and take nukes with me all the time. During the period of the wasp attack, I used for an entrance, in some cases, very successfully, the peg hole, which I used last year, I have not used this year, to treat with oxalic acid. So a peg, it's a brewer's peg actually, sits in the hole, I remove the peg, stick the oxalic acid uh, uh, tube in, pump away, remove it, put the peg in. Well, that hole is about uh, uh, five or six mil in size. And it is very easy for the bees to guard it. So I just closed up the bottom, opened the peg hole, and that has proved to be very successful. So it is something that I am considering putting into the nukes so that if I get that situation again, I'll just close up the floor and I'll use the peg hole. Although you will appreciate having varroa resistant hives, the peg hole is no longer required 
and I don't need to treat for Varroa. How do I know I don't need to treat for Varroa? Well, I have done Varroa checks, not on all the hives, but on a cross-section of hives in each of the apiaries. And I can tell you that two hives were higher than one and a half percent, that's three Varroa per 200 count. So that is below the economic treatment threshold for autumn, so I didn't treat them. All the others were one per 200, which is nothing. Remember the term is Varroa resistant. Remember that we will never be without Varroa. They will always be around. They will always be jumping from bee to bee during foraging on plants. Bees will always wander and stop off in a hive which is not their home hive and can bring Varroa in with them. And so they are Varroa resistant. Uh, one thing I discovered this year is that frame feeders, wooden frame feeders, even though they are treated and sealed, they do tend to leach. That is a really bad characteristic when you've got swarm attack coming on, and that is going to be an even worse characteristic when we get to the second part. I noticed that thorns are now selling plastic single frame uh, um, in-hive feeders, uh, complete with floaters, and they probably hold three pints. It's absolutely fine. When winter comes and I withdraw my wooden feeders, then I will reseal them. And uh, what I've used, started using is uh, Bostic wood sealant, uh, and I just pour it inside and I swill it around uh, and um, it sits in there with maybe quarter an inch or so of this uh, um, sealant and by swilling it around and tipping the frame this way and that I get to cover all the joins. Um, clearly I won't have to do that with plastic. So, part two. You may have noticed that um, the title includes Freylon Asiatique, and you may have noticed that that is a word that is appearing in the press in the form of Asian Hornet. There cannot be uh, a well-read beekeeper around in the UK and probably in parts of America, certainly in European mainland countries from Mallorca, Portugal, southern Spain, Valencia has just been announced as having uh, established hornets. Uh, it's into Germany. They're having a bad enough time but as it is. Now to get Asian hornets makes it even worse. Now, 
certainly in the UK, if you're a good beekeeper, you must have been made aware of the two British Beekeeper Association uh, evening programmes that went out uh, over the internet uh, about uh, uh, effectively living with and fighting off the Asian hornet. If you haven't seen those, you should watch them. Uh, I have watched part of them numerous times. I'm not going to go into anything about the biology of them. I'm not going to discuss the pros and cons of what the French have done and what the French have not done. There's a couple of interesting things, though. Firstly, in one foul swoop, the presence of the Asian hornet in Britain has increased the knowledge of French vocabulary a hundred times. All good peacekeepers have got to know some really interesting French words that we would never know. I mean, the one of the most interesting one is uh, Moselière. What? Moselière? What? It's a muzzle. What a beautiful name. Now, the thing is about Asian hornets and the thing is about beekeeping is that to be a beekeeper, you do need knowledge and you do need experience. To have a debate with someone about should we beekeep in this way or that way, you need knowledge and experience. And if you don't have one of those, pretty soon in the debate, your cards can clearly be seen. Now, every year, a beekeeper learns something. A beekeeper really has to be pragmatic. And I hope that is me. Now, we're talking about the Asian hornet. Well, I have no knowledge. And I have no experience. The nearest I experience I have, which I think is pure coincidence, is it's the first time ever I have had to cope with wasps in plague proportions. So as a result of the wasp plague, I had already decided that the underfloor entrances that I use on almost all my colonies, most of my nucleus, but certainly all of the main colonies, it's too big. And they are Barrer mesh floors. So I have to reduce the size of that entrance. Now, to get inside, the entrance is eight millimetres in width by probably uh, uh, 45 centimetres wide. But the landing board, which the bees will just fly straight into is probably about three or four inches deep. And the wasps are all the time doing frontal attacks. So I have no choice but to amend the entrances so that they are down to eight millimetres.
that will happen during the course of winter. There is a coincidence that it's also necessary for the hornets. It became clear during the summer that the wasps would seek to try and get into the brood chamber by going underneath and trying to get through the varroa mesh floors. It always occurred to me that the wasps may be killing bees just through the sheer terrorism that occurs when literally hundreds of wasps are trying to get through the floor. So I've got some experience but I have no knowledge. So I am going to follow to the letter all of the advice that has been given. And the advice that I am taking is exactly what has been given on the part two of the BBKA, British Beekeepers Association uh, videos, which are open to everybody, members or not, and you can see them however many times you want to watch by going onto YouTube. And there are others who are doing the same. So, let's start with the hive. How am I changing it? Well, I have traditionally had my hive set up the cold way. It's not something that you can achieve if you've got Langstroth, but because the national hive is a square hive, I can choose whether I have it the cold way, so that means the frames are running parallel with the entrance, or whether I have it, sorry, whether I have it the warm way, which means that the hives are running parallel with the entrance, or whether I have it the cold way, the frames are running at 90 degree. Well, for sheer defence, having your bulk of your bees right above the entrance is the way to go. So all my colonies are the warm way. Secondly, all entrances will be fixed to 8 mil. And in addition to that, I will be buying the Dadent Nico 5.5 mil entrance reducer. Now, the 5.5 mil entrance reducer means that a queen can neither enter nor leave, and a drone can neither enter or leave, and so you can only use that entrance restrictor at a time of the year when the hornets are really bad tempered, if that's good use of the English language, I can use different words, which I'm probably more happier with, because at that time they will do a frontal assault on the hive. Well, they cannot do it behind when the bees have this 5.5 mil entrance. They're cheap as chips, I think £1.50 for a very substantial piece of plastic 
and it has the dual purpose that if you want to close the hive completely you just turn them upside down. The question arises and is discussed among the chattering classes whether a small entrance on a hive restricts the activity of the colony and holds it back. Well, just I would urge you just do a search on the internet and go for the scientific evidence and you'll find that it doesn't hold them back. They get on with it. They actually prefer a small entrance. And so I'm quite happy. Remember that the 5.5 entrance is only there for a specific period of time, which is at the end of the season, when the wasps, sorry, when, yes, wasps, but when the Asian hornets are at their most frantic to get protein. And the bees are starting to fly less and maybe starting to also cluster to keep the brood warm and so their attention to numbers of guard bees may not be as it should. The 5.5 entrance stops the frontal attack for that period. Now the 5.5 entrance is no good if your bees are not queen right. Let's move on. All my floors are open mesh. And there is no way around it. I either keep the open mesh floors and put them in a big pile and buy in uh, another floor. Now the floor I'm looking at to buy is the uh, Dadent. And I think I'm going to go down the line of the Dadent uh, um, rear vent. So you can have a Dadent full vent, you can have a Dadent rear vent, and you can have a solid floor. I rather think I'm going to go for the rear vent. I can block that off with ease. The benefit is that the hornets cannot get under the hive and cannot terrorise the bees from below. Because the hornets, just like the wasps, will search all the way around the outside, seeking to find ways in, seeking to find how they get at either the sugar syrup that I'm feeding them or how they get at the protein, which are my bees. So solid floor we're going. Um, I'm fortunate that I have the ability to uh, uh, set up a wood processing line. So I can actually cut uh, very rapidly wood to size. And because I went through the process of making all the floors from exactly the same wood of exactly the same thickness, I can do it again. By that I mean I can make probably two pieces of wood of a standard width and a third one to fill in the fillet so that I can convert them all 
And by using uh, screws, if I wanted to put them back, I can do. There's a loss of a few pounds uh, for the Varroa mesh. That's it. Better to lose a few pounds than lose a colony of bees. And then we come on to Le, I think. Maybe it's La, I don't know. Le Moselier. What is a Moselier? Well, it's a muzzle. So the Asian hornets uh, uh, ambush returning honeybees and it's their chosen method of getting their protein. If they get particularly hungry, then they will go for the landing board and take bees off the landing board. Now, the purpose of the muzzle is that it covers the, in my case, lower half of the hive uh, over the entrance, comes out uh, horizontally about 30 centimetres, goes above the entrance about 20 centimetres, and it has a 13 mil by 13 mil or half inch square net. Now the bees can fly straight through that 13 mil square. The hornets don't like it. How do I know? Well, because my newfound friends in France are telling me this, and I am already told you, going to follow what they say to the letter. So I've got a huge number of Moselliers to construct. The only thing I'm going to have to pay for is mesh. Mesh is actually very cheap. Uh, I would expect to cover um, probably 50 hives, uh, Moselliers for about 50 hives uh, for you know, maybe 20, 25 pounds worth of 13 mil uh, uh, galvanized uh, uh, wire. doesn't need any strength. It just needs to be there as a barrier. The only other thing I've got to do is to make sure that my hive bodies are uh, uh, um, well repaired, well secured, uh, um, and not allowing uh, uh, either a wasp or a hornet to in any way get in under the roof. And I've taken to uh, using uh, a bubble wrap. So I place the bubble wrap so that it drapes over the side and that tends to get rid of any gaps. Trouble is with wood, doesn't always stay flat as a pancake and does allow some gaps. Gaps are errors and errors cost lives. Well so far I haven't killed any hornets so let's move on to that. The tennis racket. The tennis racket is quite interesting. We've all seen them, electronic things, get them off Amazon or eBay, 
I'd like to know whether if I pay £20 for an, a tennis racket or whether I pay £10 for a tennis racket, do I get more electrocution for my buck? If I thought I got a greater charge of electrocution by paying £20, I will pay £20 because I have played Hornet tennis. And believe you me, when you hit that Hornet with that tennis racket, they are only stunned. It's not like hitting a wasp where it's out for the count. You hit them, they hit the ground, difficult to see before you know it, they're up. So it's almost a two-person tennis game where you're watching for inbound, you make the strike, you look for the fall, and then you take it. Now, every time you get one of these hornets, you need to put it in the trap. If it's alive, great. Because when the hornet is in the trap, it calls for help. And that call for help will attract other hornets into the trap. Clearly, at this stage, I will have used the Asian Hornet app to report the presence of hornets, taking a picture and keeping in some beautiful clear plastic bag a dead hornet so that I can send it off for absolute confirmation that I've got Asian hornets. It's got to be a big question mark in that statement somewhere, but the question mark is not related to me keeping a hornet for a civil servant to identify. Quite happy with that. There is a secondary event that occurs as a result of the tennis racket game, serious game as it is. After you've killed about four of these hornets, or uh, rather after you've stunned about four hornets, the French have it that the hornets withdraw and they will withdraw for up to 12 hours. Now that withdrawal period allows the bees to get out the hive and forage. Now, two hours isn't going to be much use to a big hive. The amount of forage they're going to get in in that time is great, but it's not going to be that great. So I will have to feed inside the hive, and I will have to do that very carefully. And to that end, I'm actually buying kiddie widdies watering cans so that they can be done accurately without spilling it everywhere. And uh, we already have on the procurement list, uh, instead of pouring out from 20, uh, 20, 25 litre drums, which weigh about 30 kilograms, instead of pouring it out from that into the watering can, we're actually buying uh, uh, taps which fit into the lids, so we just have to change the tap from tank to tank. And we'll probably only have so many tanks uh, at each apiary, rather than me having a mass fill and shipping them out and putting them where I think they're going to be, we're 
going to have to be a bit cleverer than that. So I'm hoping that the tennis racket, I'm hoping that the Moselle, I'm hoping that the uh, solid floors, that the use of the Dadent Nico entrance reducer will help keep my bees in a better position. But we have got to trap. If we can trap at the beginning of the year the queen bees as they come out of hibernation, then that is significantly reducing the number of nests. If we can trap queen bees in the autumn, now each nest in the autumn will give out about 300 queen bees. Of those 300, getting through a normal French winter, and please, I know such a thing as normal may no longer exist when it comes to winters, but getting through a normal French winter they would expect about seven to make it. So if we have a warm winter and 14 make it, just do the maths. 25,000 Asian hornets times seven, or 25,000 times 14. The difference is catastrophic, I think. And then in the middle of the year, we need to trap the hornets during their predation time. And predation time starts round about the same time as the wasps appeared this year, 1st of July. I don't know if they'll do it on the 1st of July next year. I cannot tell you. It's indicative. What's also going to be interested is who is going to command? Will the wasps command? Or will the wasps be subservient to the Asian hornet? Now, jumping to one side, what's my experience of this? Well, I have no experience of Asian hornets, but I do of wasps. Very much against my wife's wishes, I will often use our back garden uh, for bee work and that will attract wasps and honeybees. The wasps normally appear first but then the honeybees come in and when the honeybees come in en masse, see I told you my French was improving, the wasps become subservient and go away. So I wonder next year whether we are going to have hornets making the wasps subservient or whether the wasps are going to be driven away. Now all my hives are in the countryside so there is an important statistic we need to take care of. Of the French say that one hornet will consume 12 kilograms of insects during the period of its 
year's life. The deputy director of DEFRA, um, she has said very recently, and again, I don't want to argue with her, and I'm happy to take her word for it, that one hornet, just one hornet, not one nest of hornets, but one hornet can consume 300 bees per day. So you can see that it's not going to take many hornets to consume 10,000 bees. And when 40% of a colony uh, is foraging bees, and a colony might be 60,000 bees, you can see that pretty quickly the foraging honeybees are going to be disappearing. But in the countryside, 70% of the hornet's food is insect. That's something that I don't think many of the public know or realise, that those who are beloved bumblebee fanciers or take particular pride in the numbers of endangered butterflies, caterpillars, beautiful moths, they are all up for grabs. They represent significant sources of protein. And seven, they reckon, the French reckon, that 70% of the protein which a hornet consumes is going to come from other insects. 30% therefore coming from honeybees. In towns, Londoners beware, probably a bit early for it to get to Manchester, but they are hitching rides on lorries, these Asian hornets. It's reversed because the number of insects in a town is less. But in places like London, there are significant colonies of honeybees. And so 70% of the feed that a hornet takes in London is going to be honeybee. My traps. Two traps per colony. Into one I'm going to put fish. Whatever grotty fish I can get either free from the fishmongers or from a tin of sardines, anything which I can get which is pure, pure protein. And then the other one I will put carbohydrate. And I expect to be dropping into place a stunned hornet as soon as I can. And I also intend to allow the those insects which are ventured in there, but obviously we neither want to kill nor trap. Uh, it's possible to drill um, those wonderful 5.5 mil. I'm sure you remember that figure from before. It's possible to drill small holes on the inner side of the trap to allow those out. There's been a lot of debate in the chattering press, which to me is Facebook, about the difficulties of secondary trapping, unwanted secondary trapping. 
My experience this year with the plague of wasps is that secondary trapping is very few and far between. Those traps that I put out to catch wasps are, under the new regime that we have in place, were generic. They'd catch anything. But actually they didn't catch anything because the wasps dominated. And it was the wasps that used the traps and it was the wasps in the traps. The second thing is, I, I have said the amount of foraging for protein that the Asian hornets do. And if you consider the sheer weight of foraging uh, that they're going to do on insects other than honeybees, you can see that if a beekeeper gets it slightly wrong and is catching varieties of insects that would be far better allowed to escape and roam freely again, it is not in any way going to get anywhere near the sheer weight of insects. So I think we just have to be careful. Well, that's it. I've been going on for an hour. I told you that it would probably be better to do this in two things, but actually we're just doing it in one. So the next one I'm going to do is going to be uh, year-end as we go from sugar syrup as we go from sugar syrup to two to one sugar syrup and then on to solid fondant. That's the time of year when we need to get that presence of feed absolutely correct. I'll also tell you how I'm getting on with La Moselliere, unless, of course, somebody tells me it's La Moselliere. Now, I'm told by Substack that there's a chat possibility. I know that there's a chat possibility on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, and I know there's a chat possibility on Google Podcasts. Use it. If you've got something to say, say it. If I've got something wrong, absolutely fine. Remember, I have no experience of Asian hornets. And so I'm going by the book. Now, I've just told you a slight lie, because I do have some experience of Asian hornets. I told you at the beginning I was in France. And so uh, I have witnessed Asian hornets. First thing I would say about the Asian hornet is you will not hear it coming. Second thing about the Asian hornet is um, it is very fast and it has a silhouette. In flight, you will not see the legs. The legs are yellow and they go from yellow to dark brown, almost instant. It's yellow at one point in the leg, dark brown on the other. You will not see those. You will, however, see very clearly the band of uh, a colour which exists on the abdomen. Uh, uh, yellow, yellowy orange, just depends. And the other thing that you will notice when you see one is that 
when you compare the size of the Asian Hornet to the photograph that you will see currently on the BBKA website, that is a scientific photograph. It's a specimen photograph. It's not a real photograph. The Asian Hornets are much bigger. Now, I can't tell you whether they puff themselves out to make themselves look brutal, but they were certainly much bigger. We didn't see them predating on honeybees. We saw them uh, gathering in protein, a market, uh, a restaurant, a fish stand. And we saw them doing that in the presence of other insects. So within a few feet of where they were gathering their protein off the plates of those people in the restaurant, for example, within a few feet there was a bush in flower with honeybees on it. The honeybees were getting on with their life. The Asian hornets were getting their protein fill and there didn't seem to be an issue. I didn't find the presence of the Asian hornet frightening, but maybe it's because I'm just used to the presence of honeybees. I didn't find it worrying. It didn't scare me. Clearly, I don't want it landing on the back of my head. Clearly, I don't want to, by mistake, take hold of it. I really don't want to be stung by it. I undoubtedly, I know that I undoubtedly will eventually get stung by a hornet, but it's not something that I'm going to walk towards at any speed. Well, that's it. Uh, I wish you well. I urge you, wherever you are in the country, that you should be putting in place now your thoughts and preparations. I'm in Oxfordshire. The line of exploitation of the Asian hornet, as we speak, not as seen on the various websites, because they are out of date, but as issued in the uh, emails and uh, uh, um, messages that are coming out now, probably on a daily basis. The line of exploitation is Essex, London, Surrey, Hampshire. And so the next counties are Oxfordshire, Buckinghamshire, Hertfordshire, And so it's really important that you get yourself organised. I don't think that I will see living Asian hornets in my apiaries this year. There have been two sightings seven miles as the crow flies. They have been investigated by members of the Oxfordshire Beekeepers Association and nothing has been found although traps are out and the traps are being watched and monitored. And I have absolutely every confidence that they are doing their job, even though it's voluntarily done. I'm sure they're doing it 
with Ernest. Or perhaps I should say most earnestly. But I don't think I'll see them this year, but I think I will see them in spring next year, in the summer, maybe, but definitely in the autumn. Places like Buckinghamshire have huge areas of forest. If you just think about Burnham Beaches, if, if you've never been there. Beautiful tall trees. The chances of seeing a hornet's nest high up in those mature trees has got to be very slim. And so it's possible. Also, do not rule out the fact that they can hitch a lift on trucks and lorries. Trucks arrive at the ports of uh, uh, um, Portsmouth, Folkestone, Dover, Felixstowe, Harwich, and they come straight into their final warehouse locations. They can bring with them Asian hornets. So don't think that because you're not being mentioned in the emails that you're home dry. I think that you're better to prepare for the worst and celebrate when it doesn't happen. Well, that's it. I wish you all the very best. Uh, have a great autumn. Enjoy the rest of the uh, sunshine warmth that we have in September and I rather suspect it'll go on into October too. All the very best. Goodbye for now.